0: you glad you know the Lord loves you? I'm sure that none of us would prefer the alternative to that. And I think that we're all very thankful that He loves us. Turn to your neighbor and tell him. I love you too. And Sister Wright, thank the Lord for them. Thank the Lord for godly leadership that's hungry for the things of God. You've honored a bishop and mother. Thank the Lord for them. We can't be saved without a man of God in our life, you know? According to the book, and just my life's experience, you cannot make it without a man of God in your life. And um, I think one of the things that gives a fellow peace is when he realizes I can't do this on my own, and I don't have to. God's put people out there to help me be saved, and um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to let them help me Give honor to the men of God And their families here The leadership here Thank the Lord for all of them Their Christianity, their integrity Their character Give honor to my family My little children I apologize in advance I don't know what could happen time the day is over Thank the Lord for them. My hotel room's like a little anthill. And I really wouldn't have it any other way. I, I spend enough time gone without them. And um, just doing some stuff for last year's taxes when all that joyous time came. And uh, it's coming again. <laughs> One of the things I had to do was turn in the number of days I was out of town. And there were some trips that managed not to make it onto the calendar somehow. And so my wife and I went through and every, everything that wasn't on the calendar that we could substantiate, we put it down. It ended up being a little over 200 days and there were still some trips that I was gone that I couldn't recall or figure out. So probably another 20 days, 25 days on top of what I turned in, which means that the good sister is a single mom About seven months out of the year. And I have taken to telling churches, you better not make this a waste of their time. If I'm going to have to leave them to talk to you, don't you make my being here a waste of my family's time. What do you mean by that? Get all you can out of it. So to my wife, I give her honor and thank the Lord for her. She doesn't gripe. She doesn't complain. And uh, she's never, only one time has she asked me to stay home. And uh, it was a... uh, was a very unusual situation. I stayed home. Sometimes the voice of God and the voice of your wife sounds just alike. Hello. And all the ladies say amen. amen. But now ladies, Jesus don't talk all the time. Sometimes he's silent. I'm just saying. I came in from a trip one time and I normally don't come home and just spew about everything the lord did all weekend you know because i'm gonna just tell you something i have learned when they elbow deep in diapers and such about the only thing a brother needs to come in and ask is what can i do matter of fact don't even come in and ask that just find something to do and do it and so this one time however brethren i felt compelled because such great things had happened that i was still brimming with joy and I walked in, it was raining outside, and I walked in, Brother Lewis, I'm telling the good woman what all had happened. And she never really even looked over her shoulder at me. i talked about, we just nearly about had fire fall from heaven. So finally, at the very last, I thought, well, she hadn't listened to me yet. I said, and by the way, I walked on water while I was gone. Thinking that surely would get her attention. And she said to me over her shoulder as she was wrestling with that trash bag and that trash compactor, well, since you've walked on water once, you think you might do it a second time and take this trash out while it's raining? Well, I give honor to you, baby. Thank the Lord for you. You can seat yourself in Jesus' name. I I thank the Lord for your pastor. Uh, Sister Angie Wright asked me last night. She said, well, uh, is your wife's favorite preacher preaching tomorrow? Or something about your wife will get to hear her favorite preacher tomorrow, won't she? I said, no. She will not. And they thought I was being funny. I said, no, I am at least third behind the bishop and Pastor Wright. And uh, she loves to hear them preaching. Quite honestly, so do I. And if you didn't hear what your pastor preached Friday night, I'm going to just tell you, you, you would do yourself a service to get the message from him on Friday night. Your pastor spoke as clear word from God about who we are and what we're doing as anybody I've heard in a long time. And so I do give honor to them and thank the Lord for them. Fear is the liar that activates the enemy. Fear. I read one deal one time that said, Fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. And I'm afraid sometimes we live um, all too often in a place of fear. We're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. We're afraid of... Um, I've, I've told this story here before, and I'll condense it, but sitting on platform one morning and uh, one night, and man of God was preaching. I was supposed to have preached and felt not to, and <clears throat> this brother had a word, so I gave him the mic. And as he preached... At some point, I leaned my head back and just was kind of massaging my neck, and I felt a tumor on the back of my head. And um, I was able to self-analyze that thing. And uh, about 30 minutes into the deal, I was near to a nervous breakdown. And the, the pastor's sister was a registered nurse and all I could think of was, I need to get to her and let her check this tumor out and tell me just exactly how long I've got because right now what I'm feeling is I may not have but just four or five days. And, um, then my consternation was multiplied because in a moment of being thorough, I checked the other side and lo and behold, there was a twin tumor over there. And I was able through discernment and my, medical prowess to determine that they had yet started up in my brain. One had grown through the skull, one had grown under it, around the brain stem. It was all just wadded up in there. And uh, end of days had come to me. I could hear the waters of Jordan laughing on the old bank of the river, waiting to get me. And that preacher would not stop preaching. And I was sweating. I'm telling you before the Lord, I was sweating profusely. And all I could think of was, would you please stop? I need to know how much time my wife and I have left together. The light was dim. He finally finished his dissertation, and I ran down to the pastor's daughter, uh sister. My wife was there, and I thought, what is wrong with you? I said, I need a chair. I was already feeble. I said, I need a chair. (laughs) They brought me a chair. I sat down in it, and I said... Adina, I've got a tumor on my neck, right here behind on my my head, and you know how nurses can be—that Hippocratic oath nonsense about do no harm. (laughs) I'm just saying. She she went to twisting and pulling on my head and moving it about, and all I could think of was you're going to rupture them tumors. I'm going to have this whatever this is throughout my entire body in like two minutes if you don't stop it. She wrestled and couldn't find it and couldn't find it and I was just getting more. I'm thinking, dear God, if a registered nurse can't find these tumors that are obvious to even me, this is bad. And finally she said, tell me one more time where they're at. She's getting a little frustrated with me. You know, my wife was there and I think she was concerned but she was just kind of You know, that look they give us. And I pointed it out again. I said, there's one here and one here. And she leaned my head forward. Now, she wasn't very gentle with it. She grabbed my head, just palmed it like a basketball and shoved it. Pow! My chin went down to my chest. She said, here and here. I said, yes. She grabbed my forehead. Wham! She come back with my head again. Right there and right there I said yeah And she slapped me in the back of my head As hard as she could She said It's a fat roll (laughs) I'm just telling you Fear Fear While the word of God was being preached And that brother had a word Fear Then I got to think about it later on What's the downside to live as Christ, to die as gain. What really would have been the downside to have had something that was going to bring about the end of days? Here a minute, there forever. What's the downside to this thing? There really isn't one. But fear? Fear will get you to walk right out of the place of Selah. Fear will get you to look at a place of security and see it as a trap. Fear will get you to look at the hand of God that's holding you and keeping you and turn it loose and walk right away from it. Fear will cause you to start thinking about all the hypothetical things that could come against you. Most of us are not afraid of the facts. Most of us are afraid of the hypotheticals. Most of us are afraid of, well, what if? Am I the only one? Pray my strength in the Lord, but am I the only one? Hello? Hands, well, thank God, there's two brave humans in the room. We're sitting around wondering, oh, yeah, but what if? Well, I don't know. I mean, and, and, and you know what one of the things is we sanctified people say the most that really I don't understand? I don't know what I'm going to do. There should never be a time that a spirit-filled child of God says, I don't know what I'm going to do. When you really stop and think about it. Because we do know what we're going to do. We're going to take it to Jesus. I don't know how he's going to fix it. I don't know what he's going to do about it. But what I do know is he's the one's going to do something about it. I can't fix it. And I'm not even going to try. i got enough sense to know. I can't do one thing about one thing going on in my life. Jesus alone is going to have to deal with it. I can't fix it. So fear seems to me to be an ever-present companion to the people of God all too often and I wish that we could somehow or another find a way to change that dynamic. I want to tell somebody, you had better make the enemy your enemy because he's about to make you his friend. And you know who you are. You better make the enemy your enemy Because you're real close to him making you his friend. The enemy can make a friend out of us if we don't see him as the enemy. And there's somebody sitting in this room. In fact, there's one person sitting in this room. And I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord to let me know for sure, but whether I'm going to say it publicly or privately. But you have, you have gone far enough justifying what you're doing and the people you've allowed in your life that you've almost developed Stockholm Syndrome and that thing that's taking you down, you're you're becoming defensive of it and you're justifying its existence I'm looking at my iPad so you won't know who I'm talking about and I'm telling you right now the Lord's for, for three or four days every time I've seen you this week the Lord has said They've, they have allowed the enemy to get close enough that he has convinced them there's no threat there. And it seems good, it seems right, I'm happy, things are finally looking up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you have almost begun to believe the lie that the enemy's been telling you, that it's okay. And the truth is, it's not. It really is not. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 went to bed with this on my mind last night Woke up with this on my mind uh, this morning Um, I have fought a good fight I finished my course I've kept the faith I'm only 51 But I've had the Holy Ghost since I was 9 And that's 42 years worth was going to church before I received the Holy Ghost. I guess essentially all I know is church, really. I mean, you live in the world, you see the real world around you, and you kind of get some exposure to it. But uh, this verse of Scripture has kind of ministered to me a lot lately, and I've preached it a lot of times, and I've... I've talked about it a lot of times, and probably anybody that's been in the ministry for more than 30 minutes has preached something from that verse of Scripture. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. There are a lot of things that I hope can be said about me at the end of my life. Uh, And I said the other night I have decided I'm going to live to be 101, just for the simple fact I've never done that before, so I think I want to see what it's all about be a generation old, I mean, who's going to tell you what to do at the generation's mark? And so I've really thought about it. I'd like to live to be 101, but if I don't, either way, if I, if I leave this world by the end of the week, I hope you can say that right there about me, fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. Something about what Paul was telling Timothy. If you read that chapter, I was sitting here reading it a while ago on the platform. If you read that chapter, Timothy is getting some instructions from Paul. Paul's like, I'm, I'm at the end of my life. My life is ready to be poured out like uh, water. It's, I'm, it's just about to be poured out. I'm, I'm about to be killed and it's over. Paul wasn't saying to Timothy, I've done a good job. When he said I fought a good fight, he wasn't saying my performance was great. He wasn't saying I was the greatest swordsman in the army. He wasn't saying I was the greatest preacher in the ministry. He wasn't telling Timothy I had it all figured out. What he was telling Timothy was this struggle that I've been involved with has been worthy. This kingdom business that I've been involved with has been a worthy struggle. And I, I can't speak for anybody else, but in my lifetime I've I've noticed the enemy creep up on me at times and ask me, is it put the thought in my mind, is this really worth it? Is is all that I'm doing, is it really worth it? I just how many of you have ever just honestly said, I just think I'd rather quit? Me and Sister Naomi, the only two honest humans in the whole room. I'm done, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm weary. I'm, I'm tired of being talked about, I'm tired of being made fun of, I'm tired of being rejected, I'm tired of being overlooked, I'm tired of not being appreciated, I'm tired of feeling used, I'm tired of all the struggle. It seems like if you're going to live for God, be a child of God, somewhere along the way this deal's got to get easier and it just seems like the further I go, the harder I have to fight to even be here. Now I'm going to tell you something, the truth of it is, it doesn't matter what you do in this world, the same struggles exist in every bit of it. But the enemy makes you think the only place you're going to struggle is in the kingdom. I'm going to tell you the easiest place to have a struggle is in the kingdom. There's no other place in the world that you've got the help you've got in the house of God. You go on out and leave him and go on back out into the world and do what you want to do. You're going to struggle the same struggles. The same people are going to hate you. The same people are going to betray you. The same people are going to mock you and make fun of you and overlook you and turn their back on you and abandon you in your time of trouble. But you're going to do what you do then without the help of the Father. That The struggle never ends. There's no place in or out of the kingdom where there's no struggle. But in the kingdom, the struggle is not something that I do alone. If my brethren reject me, my father still loves me. If my brethren don't appreciate me, my father still has need of me. If my brethren don't understand me, it doesn't matter. The father still does. If I don't seem to have any purpose in the world or the kingdom, it's okay. The father knows what I'm supposed to be doing. The struggle is going to exist anywhere we go. Everywhere we go, there's going to be struggle. Everywhere we go, some of us have family that's going through all kind of stuff right now and there's nothing we seem to be able to do about it. And we make foolish statements like, I wish I could do more, but just know I'm praying for you. There is no more to do for somebody than to pray for them. I don't know why we think that prayer is a last resort. Prayer ought to be the very first thing we go to. Prayer ought to be to them, you know what, I got the money to get you out of the mess you're in, but the Lord said to pray for you. That's the most I can do for you. Bailing you out financially may cause you to have problems down the road, but if I pray, hello somebody. And I'm going to tell you something about it. it. It is a struggle. And there are going to be times that it seems like everything you have fought for is being ripped out of your hands and everything that you believe for is being taken away. But it's worth it. It's worth coming to church and getting your feelings hurt. And I'm going to tell you something. You want to get your feelings hurt? Just keep being faithful to church. Hello? Be sitting up in the house of God talking about, oh, they didn't talk to me. The manager at Target didn't talk to you either. So-and-so looked sideways at me, sitting on the end of my row. Well, they may have just burped and hoping you don't smell it. Hello? We, we, we look and we misunderstand stuff. And you know what? There's going to be days that you're going to walk in the greeters are not going to shake your hand. There's going to be days that the host of staff is not going to shake hands with you. They're not going to acknowledge you walked in the building. And pastor's not going to be able to get to you before you leave. But you got to be grown up enough to make your mind up and say, you know what, I'm not in this for them. I'm not in this for him. I'm in this because of him. And I don't care if you talk to me or not. I don't care if you acknowledge me or not. I'll be back tomorrow. Why? Because this is a worthy struggle that I'm involved with. I'm not bailing on this. And you might hurt my feelings, but I promise you this. You don't have near what it takes to make me turn my back on Jesus. You didn't go to Calvary for me. You didn't bleed for me. You didn't shed your innocent blood for all of my guilt. You didn't do that for me. He did it for me, and I'm committed to Him regardless of whether you like me or not. I've made that decision. I may get my finger cut off in battle tomorrow. The writer said, I'd rather, the statement is, I'd rather enter into heaven maimed than into hell whole. I don't care how pretty, I don't care if I look like a hot mess when I cross that threshold into heaven to be with him. I don't care if I look like six miles of bad road, limping on one side, dragging the other. If I can just get to where Jesus is, it's been worth whatever it costs me to get there. Whatever price i got to pay, whatever i got to live without and do without to be wherever he's at, it will have been worth it all. And I'm going to tell you something. You won't stay with it if you don't settle that right now. It's not about waiting to the end of it. And then looking back and saying it was worth it. you got to, if today is your first day in the kingdom, you got to settle it in your mind. Whatever the future holds and whatever God requires and whatever comes my way, it's going to be worth every bit of it to be with Him. You ask some of these elders that have been in the kingdom for decades. Ask them. How'd you get here? By not quitting. And some days, I know we all about running the aisles and we we talk to you and we try to get you to leap and shout like a young deer and just roll and run and just, just do all the things that we physically do. But I got news for you. Some days... Some days you ought to feel victorious just for the simple fact that you drugged yourself in this building. You may have fought every devil in this county just getting from the house to the house of God. And the very fact that you got here is sheer testimony enough that he loves me and I love him back. And I, if I can just be here. You know what? Sometimes you're going to feel like running the aisle. Sometimes you're going to feel like jumping and shouting and hucking and bucking and talking in tongues all night long. But I promise you, if you serve God more than 30 minutes, you've already figured it out. There's going to be some days you might come in here straight from chemo. You might have come in here straight from dialysis. You might have come in here straight from the auditor. And all you really feel like doing is sitting down and taking a breath. Well, guess what, baby? That's all right, too. Just be where you need to be. And if you'll stay faithful, you feel like running in miles next week. Oh, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. Everybody else is just... And can't nobody see it. But the little mother that's just wore out, all she may have the strength to do while she sits with her hands folded in her lap, is lift that one hand just barely off of her lap. Set there with her eyes closed hoping she don't go to sleep. Don't you let the devil make you feel guilty about that, baby. You you are where you're supposed to be. And you got a lot better chance of going to heaven from that position in that place with the people of God than the alternative. It's worth it. It's a lie to tell you there's roses all the way. There ain't roses all along the way. Now there's rose bushes all along the way. And occasionally you find a rose. But even that's got thorns on it. It's a lie, it's a myth to say that when you receive the Holy Ghost, everything gets better. It don't. You got better. The Holy Ghost gave you power to overcome the stuff that's never going to change. Hello? So God don't make everything better? Oh, he'll bring down high places and bring up low places and make the way straight. But there's going to be challenges and there's going to be struggles and he'll straighten out some of them crooked places. But there are some things that are never going to change. If you don't have a winning personality before Jesus fills you with the Holy Ghost, I got a news flash for you. You're probably not going to have one after you got through talking in tongues that first time. If you had bad breath post pre-Holy Ghost, you got bad breath post-Holy Ghost. Don't come down here. Let me give you all some altar working advice. Don't come down here without a mint in your pocket. Somebody be right up at the edge of receiving the Holy Ghost. you would be, oh, yeah. Oh. We'll come back next week and try that again. If you were dirty for lack of shower before you receive the Holy Ghost and you don't change things, you can talk in tongues till Jesus comes, but you're going to stink the whole time. The Holy Ghost don't make all that better. The Holy Ghost don't make the whole world treat you better. The Bible does say when a man's ways please God, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. But sometimes that little cashier person last night down at the great Burger King run through and got the little children some chicken fries. And I'm going to just tell you, I've been in church for 700 hours this week. And my Christianity was challenged at the drive-thru down there on West Street. Little brother talking to us on that little headset and can't hear nothing. He's saying, I'm deaf in this ear halfway anyway. Raining, trying not to get rained on, and little children are talking, and the sweet woman's somewhere, and the children were talking, and he was mumbling, and I'm trying to respond to the mumble, and then he wants to get horsey with me. Oh, 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 y'all sanctified. Pray for me, I'm yet a man. Because I wanted to just open the door, woo, walk right up. I'll come back and get, all oh, y'all ain't never, but I, I, last night. <laughs> and then the insult to injury was we get up to the drive through window and the brother's got the microphone on that headset, run plumb up to the top of his cranium. What are you talking about? You who? Don't you get an attitude with me? Because I'm having to ask you what you said on the little speaker, and you ain't even got the microphone down there where it's supposed to be set up here, and then going mumble on top of that. What am I? Got bionic hearing or something? I don't have any of them hearing aids. I'm gonna buy some, apparently. And my wife. Sometimes you just want to be mad. Oh, to all the sanctified people, pray for me. I'm, I'm yet striving to make a hundred. I ain't got there yet, but I'm coming. She'd be talking about, Shh, baby, baby. What? Baby my eye. You ain't said baby to me all day. Don't start it now. I'm mad. Hmm. But if me being mad will make you say, baby, I'll act mad more often. They'll spit in our food. Well, I might be about to spit in his. It didn't feel like a worthy struggle. Me getting cold rain right up in that car. On me. Ain't nobody else in the car getting rained on except daddy. And they all want me to act like a tulip. Mm-mm. I feel more like a briar bush right now. Me having the Holy Ghost didn't change the way they treated me. Do you know who I am? If I'd have said that. And then the woman handed me my food. I thought, okay, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to push my Christianity to the brink, and I'm going to be as sweet to her as I can be. I could see a stroke from where I was. I'm pretty sure I went on ahead and had one. She hands me my bag, and of course, my wife always needs extra salt and ketchup. There's five pounds of it in the glove box, but we need extra salt, pepper, and ketchup. Yes, baby. Could I get extra salt, ketchup, and honey mustard, I believe it was last night. And then shove them bags out in that rain. Open. And the cold rain hopping on my cold my hot fries and you're gonna say, enjoy. Oh. My pressure went pow. Enjoy. Enjoy. Enjoyment would be me pulling up, getting out, whooping all of you, just wing-whooping you like a yard chicken right now. That'd be joy. No, and i got to get up coming in and talk to the saints of God in the morning and act like I'm saved and sanctified, washed by the blood. I'm telling you it's a worthy struggle. I had to overcome all them people down there at Burger King to make precious and the babies happy. Why? Because I won't be saved. I don't care what the rest of them do, I gotta make it to heaven. And I'm telling you on today, that wouldn't have been possible last night had it not been for the fact that Jesus had filled me with that Holy Ghost. If I didn't have him last night, we'd have had a problem down at the Burger King. Ain't I'm no telling how many of us would have been a headline had it not been for Jesus? You'd have been a news article if it hadn't been for Jesus. You'd have already been an obituary if it hadn't been for Jesus. Somebody would be talking a different story about us if it had not been for Jesus. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Whatever it's going to cost, take no thought for the morrow. Neither staff, nor script, nor cloak. Don't worry about it. Because as long as you're in the will of God, whatever the cost is, it will have been worth it. I got on a plane early one morning. I forgot where I was coming from. Atlanta. No. Uh, Indiana. I flew out of Louisville it was like 5.30 or something, and I flew from there to Atlanta, switched planes. We're leaving Atlanta. It's like I must have left earlier than 5 because I left Atlanta at 7.15. And all I really want to do on that second leg was just close my eyes and try to rest. And when I got on that plane, I sat beside the most beautiful Unexplainably gorgeous empty seat you y'all elevate, empty seat that I'd ever seen in the exit row, and I thought, yes. So I put some of my paraphernalia over in that seat, and then something just clicked in my spirit, and I thought, oh. Now there's several empty seats on this plane, but I knew. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. And I hear this woman coming halfway up the jetway. And I thought, Oh, sweet Lord. Step in that place and do a miracle now. Shut her up or redirect her. In the name. And he didn't uh neither. And I looked up. And here she came. Now, I'm I'm one of these people. I really need Christianity. I need it. I'm going to tell you all right now, by the way, that I need it. Because I get on planes. Oh, you preacher, you're supposed to be willing to testify to everybody. I am. And I put my little... I get my little thing, I put it on my neck and pull them earbuds out, put them in my ears. Sometimes I turn on something, sometime I don't. Sometimes I don't really want any noise and I don't want to be talked to, so I just plug up and maybe everybody get the hint and don't talk to you. Nah. Not this thing. She was undeterred and I heard her, boom, boom, boom. Here she came down That The last piece of humanity to get on that flight. She walked past... A dozen perfectly good suitable seats on the aisle to sit beside me, between me and the window. And I had not turned on music until I saw her coming. And she was, that mouth, it looked like she'd eat a five-gallon bucket of chat grass before she got on it. She did. I turned on my music. Turned it all the way up. Pull that earplug out a little bit was precious, could hear it. Undeterred. She walked up, I'm sitting there looking at my feet. She walks up, and I pray, oh God, let her go, let her go, let this bitter cup pass in Jesus' name, let it pass, let it pass. And there I sat in Gethsemane, and there those feet stopped. And she reached down and tapped me on my hand. And I did what all of us sanctified people do, I faked it. Hi. You sitting here? You're, Come on in. You'll yeah, be glad. Sir, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No problem. No problem. Let me just get out of your way. She came in, sat down. I didn't. I didn't turn off my music. I just kept my little spa music playing over here. I'm trying to go. And she never stopped talking. I'm talking about. She reached for a deeper gear and just put the pedal into it. She was. Well, all these businessmen sitting around beside me I know all these sanctified people looking at me with such condemnation I can't help it I'm just telling you right now it's going to be worth it but I'm going to have some stuff to get over between here and there and all these businessmen are putting in their headsets and bows ear things and they're all trying to get away from her and as we taxi out to the runway she is in full throttle you hear me she's wide open And these businessmen are all leaned forward in their seats, leaned away across the aisles, leaned away. They've all stopped talking. Nobody can talk over it. She was loud and unstoppable. And I began to pray and bind and loose and do all the spiritual warfare stuff I knew to do, yet, even aloud, I was doing some of it. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, If you could get past yourself for just one minute, I've got one last chance to reach for her, and it's on this flight before she crosses a line I can't bring her back from. I didn't feel like talking to her. I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't know her name before she got on that plane, and I didn't know her name when we both got off that plane. Don't know anything about her right today other than what happened on that flight. But as that plane lifted off, she began with some of the most vulgar language to talk about her job. And and she, she was very colorful in her language and... I'm sitting there listening to all of this and I went on ahead and unplugged my earphones and listening and just taking it all in but I was more listening to him and somewhere at about 22, 25,000 feet she stopped cussing long enough talking about this job she really liked she just had a potty mouth to ask me what do you do? I leaned right down. It's worth it, baby. You hear me? I just got right up in her face. I said, I'm a preacher. Just like that. She went, oh, man, God, I'm so sorry. And I thought, not like you're going to be. And the Lord said, Ask her this question. I said, When your pastor offended you at fourteen, and your whole family got bitter, she looked at me, and I'm telling you, the water started running down her face. Her chin started doing this. She held her hand up, she said, Stop him. And I said, No, no. You had your day, I'm having mine. I said, You have been bitter lonely and miserable every day of your life till now but if you're ready Jesus wants to heal all that right on this plane then she launched into another tirade she tried to dial back the language and she launched into another tirade about how fake we are church is fake God is fake Christianity's fake I've seen more mess in the church if this was all real then why are people so fake in the church because we're human and we all have problems and on that great getting up morning fare thee well when Jesus comes to get us all it's going to be grace that gets every last one of us out of here nobody's going to have this deal perfected on that day I listened to her trash Jesus she trashed the church she trashed the Holy Ghost she trashed the gifts of the Spirit and finally when she come up for air I dove right back in I said it wasn't fake the day you received the Holy Ghost for the first time was it she looked at me she was from Haiti she looked at me she said how do you know that I said that God you say is fake told me to tell you that what I've already told you and what I'm about to tell you I can't even remember everything. and it, Well, by this time, these businessmen have realized she's gone silent over here. She's, she's radio silent. They've unplugged, and they're turned around because when they look, she's crying. She's gripping the armrest on that seat, crying. We're halfway to from Atlanta to Fayette, Little Rock. <clears throat> she's gripping that seat, shaking. And <clears throat> I said, you know what? It wasn't fake when you received the Holy Ghost. It wasn't fake when your family received the Holy Ghost. That feeling of being so clean when you were baptized in Jesus' name, there wasn't nothing fake about that. I said there wasn't nothing fake about the lame that I've seen God heal. There wasn't anything fake about the blind I've seen God raise. There was nothing fake about the dead I've seen God raise up from deathbeds. I'm talking about being dead and written off. I said I've seen him raise the dead three times. None of that was fake. And I said, what you're feeling in that seat right now? This isn't fake either, is it? She said, no, no, it's not. She went to talk to us. I put my earplugs in and left her and Jesus to it till we landed literally. I'm trying to tell you, all of a sudden there were eight or ten businessmen watching and listening. And it was worth it. In that moment, me not being able to get a little pitiful nap on the airplane. To be in the kingdom and do what the king wanted done. It was worth it on that day. Not just for me, but for her and for them. I don't know what that seed in them's done, but there's a seed planted in a bunch of those people that wouldn't have been otherwise. It's worth it. I did one time what my pastor asked me to do. Man in the church didn't like it. I was young. I had all I did was what the pastor told me to do. And that morning after church, everybody's leaving. The man pinned me up. I'm about 18 years old, something like that, 19, 20, somewhere in there. He pinned me up just like this on the wall in the foyer and started screaming and yelling at me because he didn't approve of what I had done. He didn't approve of what had been done in that youth service. All I did was verbatim what the pastor asked me to do. And that man screamed and yelled at me with my pastor standing six feet away watching it, knowing I was innocent. And I stood there and took a screaming, abusive yelling match until that man's spit was dripping off of my face. I wanted to hit him in the mouth so hard. And had it not been for Jesus, I probably would have. And knowing me, I wouldn't hit him once. I'd have ruined my life. Are there struggles? Yeah. You wake up some days and your whole world's turned upside down? Yeah. October the 2nd, 2016 in Houston, Texas preaching for Brother Bourne, who was here the other day. Get back to my room at the Marriott, brand new hotel, there wasn't but about five of us in it. My wife calls me, I'm on the phone with Bishop Todd Nichols, and I said, hey, my wife's called me twice, I need to switch over and see what's going on. Switched over and she said, have you talked to your mother? No. You need to call her. Have you talked to Angie, my sister-in-law? No, you need to to call your mom. Stephen, my brother, she said, Stephen's unresponsive. They've called the ambulance, and they've rushed him to the hospital. I don't know anything other than that. She said, I've called somebody to come watch the kids. I'm getting dressed. Your mom and dad have already left. I'm going to be right behind them. I called Brother Sullivan, my buddy, he pastors there He's been mom's pastor for years And I said, hey man, I need you to get to the hospital in Charleston Just fast as you can Told him what was going on Called mom, she didn't know any more than what she she had told Jen So I called my sister, told her what was going on She threw some clothes together, jumps in her car, starts home I called the hospital, I called my sister-in-law's phone Son answered the phone And I said, James, what's going on? and he just wouldn't say anything. And I said, "James, I need you to tell me what's going on." He he couldn't talk. He was crying. Finally, he said, "Uncle Scott, I don't want to tell you." They're working with him, but it doesn't look good. And while I was yet on the phone with him, I heard the doctor tell my sister-in-law, "He's gone." We've lost him. My my 50-year-old brother. So I told James, I said, listen, I'm going to call back in a few minutes. I need you to answer the phone. But I've got to make a couple of phone calls. I called my wife. I called my sister. We agreed not to tell my parents. I didn't want mom to hear this while she was driving. This was in October. In August, my dad had told me he had a Big lump under his arm, and he said, I'm sure it's cancer, but I don't know. I just so we'd already started tests and biopsies and MRIs and CT scans, and we were right in the full throes of finding out what all was going on with pop. Stephen had had surgery on Thursday, rotator cuff surgery, through a blood clot. That blood clot hit his lungs and killed him instantly. 50 years old, two daughters grandkids and when mom and dad got to the hospital some of the family came running out my sister-in-law's family they were waiting on mom and dad they knew what was going on with dad they came running out to the car the truck and before mom could get out dad could get out they put the windows down these people on both sides of the vehicle and they said Mr. and Shelton, we Shelton we hate to have to be the ones to tell you this but Angie wanted us to tell you before you got out, we didn't want you to fall or have it, but he's gone. And my mother sat there. And in her way, she just started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My dad sat over there in his way, so stoic and quiet, not saying anything. And in a minute, my mother finally said, well... You know, God's been good to us. He's gotten us through some stuff through the years. and Well, praise the Lord. He's going to get us through this too. You just heard your 50-year-old son passed. She didn't fall apart. She sat there. She said, God's got us through some stuff before this. He'll do it again. My daddy's sitting over there. He said, you know, God's been good to our family. He gave us Stephen for 50 years. We're so thankful for it. I s- sat down on the foot of that bed in that hotel room, laid the phone on the dresser. I sat down and I said, "Lord, I didn't know they had what all had happened with them. I found out later. But I said, "Lord, I need to say this out loud now." and I need it on the record now so you can remind me of it through the days and weeks ahead. I don't understand and I don't like it, not one bit. And I said, I, I trust you, but my heart is broken so bad. But I trust you. And I need you to know that this is not going to change anything between you and me. But if you could explain this to me and tell me why you saw fit to take my fifty year old brother, I would sure appreciate it. And in a second, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, Do "You remember Tuesday? I mean Tuesday on Tuesday, my mom and dad had said, "Hey, let's go over to Stevens. We're not going Dad was going to be having an MRI the same morning Stephen was having surgery." I had to go with mom and dad. I couldn't be there for his surgery. So we all got together on Tuesday, and it was like the greatest, and our family's always been tied anyway, but it was like the greatest family get-together, Sister Trader, we'd ever had. And we got pictures out. We we stopped at um, Rivertown Barbecue in Ozark and bought every piece of meat they had, I guess. We took all that barbecue down to my brother's and we ate and we laughed and we looked at pictures and Stephen was always witty and funny. It was, it was really the greatest get together probably I can remember in a decade or more. We left and mom and dad, I'd already got dad in the truck. Mom was getting in and as I went around to get in my truck, my brother said to me, he said, I'm glad y'all came. I said, Man, I'm just sorry we can't be there Thursday for your surgery. He said, no, I mean, I feel kind of weird about Thursday. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I, I don't know if I'm going to come off that table or not. And I teasingly said to him, I said, if i got to drag you off that table, you're getting off that table. You'll be all right. He said, I, I know I'm going to be okay, but I'm just telling you, something's different. I just have a weird feeling. I hugged him, told him I loved him. We left Wednesday. I had about an eight-second vision. And I was standing in the church at Fort Smith under the balcony. And I looked down to the front in this vision. And I saw a funeral going on. And I saw my brother in his casket in that funeral. And then it was gone. It was more in my spirit than it was my thinking. Thursday, all that happens. Saturday, he called me late Saturday. Brother Born had just picked me up at the airport. My phone rings at Stephen. I started not to answer it. I'll I, I wait, I'll call him back and the Lord said no, talk to him now talked to him all the way to the restaurant laughed, he told me a couple of jokes he had made up and um, told me he loved me I told him I loved him it was the last time I talked to him so glad I answered that phone it's worth it and that day in that room the Lord said Stephen's feeling about that surgery was not just him being suspicious. That was me. I was stirring him to dig deeper. The last couple of years of his life, he had made a, a about face. He had never really gone way off crazy, with, but he just strayed from his walk with God some. And the last two years of his life, he had... And and my mother, she wasn't physically able to do, but she she never stopped. You hear me, it's worth it. You think nobody should have to outlive their kids but when you live long enough to see your kids go to heaven saved it's worth it and I said Lord could you explain this to me he said that was me stirring Stephen one more time to do some soul searching and praying and to dig deep and make sure everything was right between me and him and he did it that day he said but I stood in a window of time that was the term she used a window of time he said I turned and I looked back and I heard the prayers of your mother when Stephen was just a little boy after they adopted him and I heard her saying Lord I give him back to you and whatever you've got to do to save him save my son He said, then I turned in that window of time and I looked to the future and I saw an event coming that you can't see. And I knew that when that trouble came, if Stephen lived to that moment, it was going to make answering that prayer impossible. And so there was afforded to me just a window of time. And I reached through that window of time today and I didn't take him. I answered her prayers. He said, don't look at Stephen's departure as me having taken him, but see it as me having honored her. Hey, I had to preach his funeral. I was I was involved in Stephen's funeral, both services. It was tough, but it was worth it. My mama sat there. She and I talked not long ago. She said, you know, I miss him, but I have still not felt that Weird grief that I think I'm supposed to feel Because such peace And then 10 months later At 3.20am my daddy left this world Walked back in my mother's room At 5.30 with my sister Woke her up Sat on the bed beside her She sat up in the bed And she said She reached out and took our hands. She said, he's gone, isn't he? Yes, well, he's gone. She just hugged us and patted on us. She wasn't in denial. She had peace. I I still don't understand it. She said, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. He's he's done a lot for our family. He's kept us. Thank God for your daddy. He said, it's going to be okay. My Uncle Danny was out in the living room, Pastor Sullivan. Mama got up and got her gown on, came out, a robe, came out, sat and visited with everybody in a little bit. She said, well, I think I'm going to go lay down, take a little nap. Last year, two years ago, she broke her ankle. That ankle began to just throw tons of blood clots when they finally found them. My sister called me. She said, you need to come. I headed to South Arkansas, canceled the trip. Mom's in the ER They moved her to ICU. Both of her lungs were so full of blood clots, they finally just quit counting them. And I said, Mama, are you okay? She said, well, yeah. Why wouldn't I be? To live is Christ. To die is gain. I haven't served him all this time to be afraid of transitioning from this world to the next now. God's been good to us, Scott. God's been good to us. Mama's yet alive. She's 80 years old and doing good. But when she goes from this world, should she outlive us, that'll be a different story. But if she doesn't, I'm going to preach her funeral too. Just like I did my brother and my daddy. And I'm going to tell all who are there she was involved in what she considered a worthy struggle. She stayed the course. She didn't deviate. Sometimes, Brother Smith, she ran faster than she did others. Sometimes I watched her. I watched her when people in the church just went after my brother and destroyed him nearly as a kid. Just wasn't fair. Shouldn't never happen. But I never heard Mama say a bad word about him. She kept a right attitude. She prayed for them. She prayed. She worshiped. She did because it was a worthy struggle it wasn't easy to watch her children go through some of the things that they went through but it was a worthy struggle and so when she passes from this life should I live longer than her I'm going to say of her she was involved in what she considered a worthy struggle that's why she never quit it she finished her course she stayed in the way until that day was over And not one time did she let go of the faith. Not once. I've said it twice this past week and we'll say it yet again today. We have come too far to abandon this thing now. Some of us are living in situations that are not perfect, but it's worth it. You may have a spouse that's unsaved and it may be rough, but it's worth it. Whatever your situation is and whatever your circumstances are, don't abandon the fight, the course, or the faith. When it's over, have kept these three things. The fight, the course, and the faith. Sister Kimball, it's rough sometimes, isn't it? It's gonna be worth it. Ah, oh, it is gonna be worth it. Ask some of these elders that have served God for decades. Have you ever had to go through some rough stuff? And every one of them's gonna tell you, "Yeah, I've walked through some valleys." Some of them may yet be going through some now. But ask them how they did it. They just didn't quit. Just don't quit. Get up in the morning, put your left foot out there. Bring your right one up, stand there a minute, and then put that right one out. And, and if you just got to drag along, and it feels like there are devils from every corner of the world mocking you as you go, just keep going. There'll be an angel, the presence of God's just right there. Just keep moving forward. Sometimes by leaps and bounds. Sometimes by almost barely discernible increments. You may have children that are in a mess today. Don't give up on them. I'm going to tell you what I know for a fact. All roads that lead from the altar make a U-turn and come back at some point. It's not a straight shot. You used to see them around the altar. Keep seeing them in your mind. Speak of things that are not as though they were. It's worth it. They'll be back. They'll be back. And you know what? They may be back with some bumps and bruises and breaks and scars and maybe something gone. But if you'll just hang on, it's going to be worth it. Every tear you pray for them, every every tear that drops, every prayer you pray, everything you do, it's going to have been worth it at some point. Stand with me. Some of us are here because somebody said it's worth praying for them. They're worth believing in. They're worth not giving up on. I see something about them that's worth it. And they stayed the course. They fought the fight. They kept the faith. And they never left it. Now, why don't you reach over and get somebody and bring them to the altar with you? Come press your way in as close as you can get. I wanted to be a dad for years. Let me tell you something, ladies. As much as God put it in you to be a mom, he put it in men to be a dad. And over the years, I can't tell you how many times I have been put in situations where I was compelled to pray for people, commanded even, to pray for people that couldn't have children. And I knew just nearly every single time I prayed for them, they were going to have a child. And there was this battle that would rage in me. Why does everybody else get their prayer answered? And I don't. In Springfield, Illinois, one Sunday morning, this lady started coming. She was crying, and I knew when I looked up and saw her what she was coming for. And I kind of got a little agitated, and I thought, I'm not praying for her. I'm not, I'm not doing it I, 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 somebody else going to pray for her today I'm not, and the Lord said no I need to set your answer in motion today and you're going to pray for her if you don't pray for her I can't do what i got to do for you okay and I'll save you all the long detailed story but about five months later she was pregnant she's got a little girl the same age as Eliana and I have Eliana because of what God did that morning I'm telling you, every tear I cried, every time I got mad at Jesus, and some of y'all need to just go on ahead and fess up, you've been mad at him too. When I look in the face of Eliana Autumn Joy, and Erica Peyton, Grace, and Malachi Douglas Scott, I feel so bad, Sister Smith, for ever being mad at Jesus. And it does seem like sometimes he'll take you the long way around to get from Egypt to the promised land. But if you just stay in the caravan and just stay with him, hug everybody else's children, be happy when everybody else is pregnant, be happy when everybody else is having a baby. If you just stay the course, I look at my three babies and it's like, oh, yeah, it was worth it. And I wouldn't trade now one step of what I considered a brutal journey to get from there to here. It was worth it. The Lord asked me a question the other day, just right out of the blue. He said, has knowing me and serving me been worth it to you? And Sister Smith, I'd never thought about it like that. But when he asked me that question, I literally just tears started running because in a second, those moment memories started flooding back through of all the things he's done for me. I remember laying across my bed one day in one of the lowest moments of my entire life and saying to the Lord, could you please some way let me know you even know where I'm at and what I'm going through? 12 minutes later, the phone rang, and it was Brother Alan Stewart from Georgia. He said, is this Brother Shelton? He called Grandmama's house. He said, is this Brother Shelton? I said, yes, sir. He said, I had to pull over and call Bishop Wright. He said, I'm in a rush to get to an emergency at the hospital. But 12 minutes ago, the Holy Ghost said this was more important. Told me to call you. And it took me this amount of time to find a phone number for where you are. He said, but the Lord told me to tell you he in fact does know where you are and what you're going through and it's going to be okay. He didn't fix it. Didn't change the environment. Didn't change circumstances. But in that moment it was like, where else can you go and have that kind of a surety that it's all going to be okay and it's well worth it. So I want you to do that right now. Just lift your hands somewhere or another. One of them, both of them. And remember something that God has done that on today reminds you it's worth it. So I'm going on, I'm on to stay in this worthy struggle. I'm going to keep fighting this fight. I'm going to stay the course. I'm not going to deviate from it. I'm not going to give it up. And I'm going to yet keep the faith. Come on. Just remember, you got children that are alive. You've got your health. You've got... You've, you've been blessed. You're on here today. You've got grandchildren and children and promises, and don't throw it all away now. Don't, don't quit, come on, somebody. don't quit the fight now. Don't, don't let the enemy sneak in or creep in and distract you now. Don't do it. It's worth it. Yeah, but I've been waiting a long time. I know you have, and, and God knows you have, and if you'll just hang on, God is going to send His answer to you. Come on, somebody. He's been good to you. It's worth it. You've been involved in a worthy struggle. Come on. It's been worth it. Every tear, every heartache, every moment of anguish and sorrow, loneliness. It's been worth it. It's been worth it when you've had to rejoice with everybody else but weep at your own situation. It's been worth it when your mind was being hammered and slammed and just torn all to pieces and the sadness and the loss and the grief you stand here today and you remember all of that but you know for a fact that had it not been for Jesus we wouldn't have made it through any of it come on Lord you've been good to me Lord I don't understand what you're doing in this I don't see the end of it I don't see the purpose of it but I'm yours I gave me to you a long time ago I yet belong to you even today And I trust you. Come on. Some of you need to tell him, Lord, I don't like it. I don't understand it. It's not comfortable. But I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I trust you. Come on. Some of you have suffered on levels that most of us may never know, never understand. You've walked in places that some of us never have. And everybody's story is different, but everybody's story is significant. But the common denominator with all of us is, it's Jesus that has brought us through it. It's been Jesus that was there with us. It was Jesus there that was walking beside you in those darkest moments when your child was in a car wreck, when everything was wrong and everything was messed up. It was Jesus there, Brother Smith. It was Him. When you and your wife were doing the will of God around the world, it was Jesus in those moments. And I'm telling you, now when you look and there's grandchildren being raised in the kingdom, it's been worth it. It's been worth whatever we've had to endure to be here today. It's been worth it. And whatever it takes to get from here to glory with Him, it's going to be worth that too. And I know what He's done from this point backward. It gives me faith about what He's going to do from this point forward. So, Lord, keep it near to my mind. Keep it in my spirit, my mind, and my thoughts. You've been good to me. You've been good to me. Don't let me forget it. Remind me of my sleep. Give me dreams. Remind me of all the things you've done. Remind me of those moments where I felt all alone and you just slipped into the room and wrapped me up in your presence and your peace.